Cool. Today we're, we're, we're covering a fascinating topic, which is the one and why I pray, and we're focusing on Tachanun, one of the least understood tefillahs um, in the davening, and really pays to, to focus a little bit more on it. I'd like to start off, first of all, by thanking our sponsors. I want to thank Ed and Sandy. Ed and Sandy Claro are sponsoring upon the 15th yard site of um, Ed, your mother, Sarah Fager, Bas Moshe, that, um, whose yard site is this week. What day? What actual day? Tomorrow, <laughs> tomorrow, starting tonight, Be'ezus Hashem and Shabbat Shalom Aliyah, and now she's reunited together with your with your father, Mitzvah Hashem. They should be Melitzim Yisharim for your family, always, always. We also want to thank um, Shalom and Glory Huberfeld who are sponsoring Lila Nishmas Esther Rezlebas Avram. That's uh, um, Mrs. Esther Kunin, whose yard site was yesterday, Shabbos by Bayam, and also today happens to be Chof. Sivan, which is a, uh, a very heavy date in Jewish history in general, but also the day of where we commemorate the 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 Petira and Hashem Yunkom Domon of Moshe Aaron ben Yaakov Yitzchak, Brindel Bas Rav Yaakov Yosef Akoin, Avram Yeshaya ben Moshe Aaron, and Hamodachai Yoshua ben Moshe Aaron, Shmuel and Shmuel David ben Moshe Aaron, Hashem Yunkom Domon, at Be'ezras Hashem, they should have a Lichtige Gan Eden, the Kiddush Hashem they created. I also want to thank uh, Dr. Stephen Marjorie Kellner, who is sponsoring today in honor of Father's Day and my son's bar mitzvah yesterday, so, <laughs> which is very, very thoughtful of him. So let's, let's start at the very beginning. Um, when it comes down to Tachanun, if you could imagine yourself as an uh, unschooled, unlettered Jew or non-Jew who walks into the back of a synagogue one, one, one more weekday morning and just try to imagine to yourself if you're trying to fit in, you're trying to blend in, right? So... Everybody's looking in the book, that's easy enough. They're saying these things, so you pretend to say these things. And then, and then they do all kinds of things. You know, so at a certain point, they start, they, they start kissing things and covering their eyes. And you know, it, gets a little, it gets a little funky around then. And then um, they all stand up and they all look very serious. And their feet are together, that's fantastic. And you carry on. And just when you think you get the hang of it, then everybody's putting their heads down. <laughs> yeah. And then when you put your head down, then they're sitting up. And when they're sitting up, then they're standing up. Tachanun is a very, a very misunderstood, a very unusual prayer. It has a number of postures. It is, it is, it is um, unusual on many accounts. Let's try to try to unpack what it is. First of all, what is Tachanun? Tachanun just for I, I realized when I was teaching high school girls that most girls did not know what Tachanun was, and for the simple reason is, is that if you're not going to a minyan, you're not seeing Tachanun, so you don't see it, and if you don't see it, you don't understand it. You don't understand what's really going on. Um, and uh, well, even even young young boys, even in middle school boys, a lot of them don't know necessarily what it is. Um, it's, so it's it's worthwhile just appreciating what is actually tachanun. Tachanun is is immediately following the the Shmona Esrei in shul from Sunday to Friday on a regular weekday. There are already three main sections of the basic tachanun. Put in the main page just from the article. There's Vayomer David al God Sarni Ma'od So that's the first section. So those uh, that 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 large paragraph there. Um, followed by, we skip the middle section of Hashem Lekei Yisrael on, um, if it's Anessa Monday and Thursday. There's a section called Shomer Yisrael. There are these four lines which are said about the holiness of Israel. And then there's Vanachin Lo Neda, which is the last paragraph. Three basic paragraphs of Tachanun, which are said on a weekday. When it comes to Monday and Thursday, we have the extended program where we have the Lurachum beforehand, and it's much more extensive. If you are Nusach Svard, there's also video which happens beforehand, right immediately after Shmon Esrei. If you if you daven Nusach Edut Mizrach, somewhat somewhat changed. The 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 Vayomer David always comes at the beginning. The Vurachum is somewhat shorter. The Beit Hazmei already has Tachanun, 
Except for the Chassidim. <laughs> Baruch Hashem, so many Hilulas, we'll get, we'll get to, to, to that in, in a moment. So, so this is what, what Tachlun is. There's a few other basic what's right now. Is um, what, what days does one recite Tachlun on? So that it is every day except for Shabbos and Yom Tov. And the only difference would be is that on Monday and Thursday, it is more extensive. It is a much longer Tachlun as well. What days is it not recited on? Um, so it's not recited on if you are in a base Ha'avel. If you are in a, in a, a davening in a, um, a, more, a house of mourning, you do not say it. It is interesting, most people are not aware of this, that when it comes to a Monday and Thursday, there are opinions that when you leave the base of Avil, you should still say Vurachum if you were not the Avil. Just an interesting observation, which most people are not aware of. Um, if, let's say, there, you are in the presence of a Chasan, so a person who's getting married later that day, that becomes not so simple when it comes to the winter, where the, perhaps the wedding is after Shkia, just to put that, to be aware of that. But um, let's say a Chasan's in Shul or a Chasan during the show, because in fact, you know, we should create an agency for hiring out Chasanim. <laughs> For just making sure that every minion is 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 covered, but uh, for for the shower brachas there is no tachanun which is said, um, and also when it comes to a bris, but it's complicated with a bris. So if there's a bris in your minion, then of course you're not saying tachanun. But in a shul like ours, like Canon Har, we have a f- five fifty six thirty seven seven thirty eight and nine on a basically on a, every weekday. Not so simple. So let's say you have as we had this last week. Let's say you have a bris at the seven o'clock minion. So that's not necessarily the case that in the 6.30 you'll miss Tachnon, unless let's say one of the Balea Simcha there, as an example of the, mo- the Moel is davening early like we had last week, then the 6.30 will also have eclipsed Tachnon as a, as a, but not just because it's in the Shul per se. There are other Minhagim which are lesser known Minhagim. So some people have it when there's a Kriyas shame for a baby girl. Some people have when there's a Siyam. You can imagine what that would look like if looking at what the nine days looks like. Um, um, and um, some have it when there's, let's say, a yard site or a hilula of a great tzaddik, um, which in the more the Hasidish community is a practice. Um, it is worthwhile noting that um, the Piskei Shuva says that that may be true, but one should really only follow a minag which one has definite in one's family or community. Um, and I, I don't think these are minhagim which are generally pro- uh, prolific around. Um, and we'll see that there's an element of flux that came, uh, came with Tachanon, which is why it leads to different minhagim as well. Um, how is the Tachanon said? The Tachanon is said when one puts first one's head down for the first section, one sits up for the second section and stands for the third section. We'll see why these different postures as we go, as we go there. So let's, let's start at the beginning. You know, the, the, um, they say that Jews, there's three things that Jews are terrified of, right? The first is, is becoming fleshik. The second is having to wash for bread. And the third is having to say tachanun. So <laughs> trying to understand what's, go- what's going on, let's, let's try to appreciate tachanun in its greater context. So where does it come from? What is the basics? What is the background? Let's start, let's start at the beginning. There are a number of places in Tanakh where it is obvious that the idea of tachanun is in effect. And how that crystallized into the practice that we have today, there are a few steps. But to understand where it starts with. So one, one example is actually what we're about to read in a couple of weeks' time. And that is Pasha's Korah. In this whole terrible rebellion, we have the situation where the, the leadership of Moshe Rabbeinu, or perhaps Aaron as well, is called into question. And Korah and his crowd are, 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 uh, are rebelling against him. And they create this very public showdown, much to their own detriment, but puts Moshe and Aaron in a very... In a very compromised situation, in source one, they, t- they say to Hashem, Hashem al Moshe vel karega. So Hashem says, I'm going to destroy them. Now, who's the them that Hashem is talking about destroying? Klal Yisrael. Hashem is talking about destroying 
the, the nation of Israel at this point in time, or anybody who's associated, right? So this, again, Moshe Rabbeinu again steps into the gap like he did in Pashas Kisis of the Chet HaEgel. Moshe and Aaron will not take this, even though many of the people who are associated with Korach Vahadasa are not good folks. They're not, they're not good people looking for the better of Klai so They're looking out for themselves. They're not community-minded folks. But nonetheless, Moshe and Aaron, Vayiplu al they fell upon their faces, and they said, If you're going to kill everybody because of one rotten apple. Now, it turns out that other people were associating with this rotten apple. But Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron says, How could it be? By the way, what does it sound like? Would these words sound similar to? Where, where, do they, where do they get this model of prayer? Avram Avinu, right. So they're using Avram Avinu's language. We have Rabbi Vinok, uh, in a certain sense, said about Sodom, right? Maybe there's, there's perhaps 50 Tzadikim, and they're saying, how could it be that there's an accounting that uh, people are, are, are wiped out without accounting? And so they do the, the same thing. What is notable is, is, is the way that this prayer is facilitated, the way that they do this prayer. And the Torah says, Vayiplu al penehem. They fell upon their faces. And therefore, says the Rabbeinu B'chai in source 2, Vayiplu al penehem lispalel, they, to, they prostrated themselves to Davin. From here we have the practice of falling upon one's face in prayer. That is the topic, the, what we call Tachlun today, is in fact called in Alacha, Alachas of Nefilas Apayim, falling upon our faces. That's the name of this. So if you look in the Shulchan Aruch, in Simon Kuf, Laman Aleph, in Orachayim, it's called Hilchas Nefilas Apayim. The laws of falling upon one's face. Where do we learn it from? We learn it from Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron in their efforts to try to stem the tide. Just to appreciate this for, for a moment over here. Um, and that is, um, what is the tone of this prayer? What would be the tone? What would their, 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 their emotional scale be looking like while they're praying? What was that? Serious. It's serious? More than serious? Yeah. Desperate. Desperate, right? So... Well, perhaps, perhaps over here is, is at this point in time, if they don't do anything, if they do not stand in this gap, it stands to be that many, many people will die. Many, many people will die because the Kodesh Baruch Hu is going to consume them. By the way, in a certain sense, it does happen. So first, the 250 people die. Korach, and, 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 and Korach himself is killed. And then the people cry, and then, then the plague does hit, right? So many uh, thousands and thousands of people do die after this. But when Moshe and Aaron see this happening, and they're trying to stop this, this is, this is when they, start, they step in to, to, to step in forward. So it seems it's a type of tefillah which is in a state of desperation. It's in a state of desperation. We'll see how that affects us on a day-to-day -day basis. The next place we look actually turns out to be a few years later. And this is, Korach actually, interestingly enough, is an undated episode. So Korach is not, not told to us when Parshas Korach happens. It is assumed by most of the that it happens towards the beginning of the desert sojourn, not the end. Right? Because Chukas is the transition till the end of the, of the 40 years. It seems that Korach is still before and assuming that the Torah is in chronological um, sequence. So it, Korach happens early on. In fact, there are those who say that Korach happened after the Miraglim episode, that when there's a, when there's a vacuum or when, there's a des when there is... Um, Desperation, or rather, um, submission to punishment. That's when um, people step into the um, opportunists step into leadership roles. Interesting to, to know that. But Korach happened earlier on. So plus, plus, fast forward forty plus years, we now have an interesting episode where Yeshua brings the nation of Israel into the land of Israel. They fight their first miraculous battle and they destroy the city of 
Yericho Jericho, feeling very, very elated from that, that, that battle, they now move on to the second city, and the second city is the city of Ha'ai. Most people say Ai because they think the Hay is the Ai. The Actually, the name of the city is Ha'ai. So they, they, they move on to, to, the, to the next city called Ha'ai, very confident. They send in a small troop, a small garrison of soldiers to attack it, and they lose. They lose the battle. And the, the Pasuk tells us in Source 3, there's their first loss they encounter in the conquest of the land of Israel. 36 people are killed, or perhaps, as the Gemara suggests, somebody, a very important leader, who is weighed like 36 people, which is a majority of the Sanhedrin of 71, is killed, and there's a and people feel 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 at this point very despondent. They think that perhaps our winning tide uh, the, the, has has been lost, and this is it. We're only going to conquer one city in the land of Israel. Why did this happen, by the way? Why did they lose the battle? The most obvious answer is is that there was a person called Achan who took from the Cherem which Yeshua imposed. Hashem did not tell Yeshua to put a Cherem on the city of Yericha. Yeshua decided to do that himself. It was a Gzera which the Tzibor, the community, could not sustain. They were not able to do, to, to do that. And the proof is that Achan did not uh, manage to, 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 to live by it. And, and he stole. There are other reasons as well, if you follow through in Tanakh over here, that they were overconfident. They sent a very small garrison of soldiers. They didn't plan it militarily. And that's why in the second time when they attack Ha'ai, there's a whole subterfuge and there's an ambush and the whole business. So they, they perhaps were thinking that everything's going to be miraculous and they didn't do this in the correct way. There's lots of interesting obs- uh, uh, things to think about here. Kind of to, to, it comes to Yoshua. What does Yoshua do? So the first thing he does is he blames his opposition in government. Right? He tweets that it's everybody else's problem. No, that's actually not how leaders used to operate in those days. <laughs> so it's, it turns out that Yoshua, in fact, did a very unusual thing for leaders today, which is he took the blame. Right? And he says, Vayikra Yoshua Simlosov, Vayipola Ponov Arza, Lifneor Nashem Ara Orev, who is Vizikne Israel, Vayalua for Al Rosham. So what did he do? He tears his clothes, he rents his garment, and he, go, and, and he falls upon his face, and he was in front of the Aaron, and he stays there um, until the evening. This is what, this is what Yeshua does, and he prays. Could you bring us here to kill us? If you'd wanted us to just stay us on, the, on Transjordan, we won over there. Why bring us here to, to, to lose? Very, very interesting prayer. It actually is a longer prayer. He uses both the voice of Israel and Moshe Rabbeinu in Pasha's Kisses, so he merges both together. Very fascinating prayer. But nonetheless, what is the posture of this prayer? Why you pull out Ponov? Again, the same word, Nefilas Apaim, is falling upon his face. Now you think of, oh, well, this is, uh, you know, it just happens to be. No, again, this is a great state of desperation. The people at this point, I'm starting to murmur. The people are saying, we're going to go back. We're going right back, back right now. All this is happening as, uh, under Yeshua's feet. Yeshua takes responsibility. He doesn't blame anybody. He realizes uh, it's, it's, it's his fault. And in fact, Akash Baruch says, Kum Yeshua, get up. Hashem says, based on Rashi understands the Apostle, three reasons why Yeshua is to blame for this. And he takes the responsibility for this. Notice the interesting detail over here is where is he doing this prayer? Lifnei Aaron, which is very imp- important and consequential for Halacha, says the Beis Yosef, who is Rav Yosef Karo, in his commentary, his proto Shulchan Aruch, before he wrote the Shulchan Aruch, on the Torah, giving the sources for where the Torah says, says the, the Beis Yosef in source for Kos of Oid Bar Harokach, one of the Kabbalistic Sfarim, um, uh, the Korokach says, Ein Nevim Ela Lifnei Sefer Torah. 
we only do nefila sapayim. Now, this doesn't mean to say recite it, but we only fall upon our faces in front of a Sefer Torah. Which means that if you're in a shul or perhaps in an area, let's say even you're in a shtibel and you can see, you're in the Ezra Sinashim, you can see the iron, then you put your face down for nefila sapayim. However, if you are not in a shul, you don't do nefila sapayim. So if you have, uh, are on a trip and you happen to stop by at a rest stop and you're doubling shachras in an airport, you say the words of nefila sapayim, but you sit, you don't put your head down as well. One exception to this place is if you live in Yerushalayim. If you live in Yerushalayim, then even if you are not in the presence of a Torah, you still do Nefilah Sapayim. You put your, your, face, your face down. It's one of the interesting halachas of living in Yerushalayim. But if you are outside of that, that, that realm, I mean, generally speaking, one does not put one's, uh, one's face down. One would say the words. There are those. You will see there are those people, perhaps, who... Uh, who, who have a different minag, but the predominant minag is not, is not. When did this affect us, just as an interesting aside, is when we had our oil bachutz, when we had our, our outside tent for, for almost the span of two years, so many, for days where there was no Torah reading, the iron was empty. We weren't bringing the Torah out. The Torah, the Torah is not being facilitating us doing tachanun. Right? We do tachanun when there's a Torah there. So the iron was not, uh, not there. So... Although many people uh, didn't listen, I did announce that on Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, you don't put your head down for Tachanun. Because there's no Torah there, so one does not do Tachanun when one's, one's face down. In fact, the Darke Moshe, it's interesting that these two Sforim are very fascinating Sforim. The Beis Yosef, what happened was, is just, a, just a quick, uh, quick recap, I don't know if everybody's aware of this, but the, 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 there was a, a transformation in the way that Halacha was conveyed around the time of the Rishon, about six, seven hundred years ago. So it used to be that all of Halacha was formulated around six silos called Shas, right? So all commentaries of Halacha, like the Rif and the Rosh, were around the Shisha Sadarim of Shas. And then there came a new movement to move Halacha into its own space. So the Ramam was the beginning of this, and he got a lot of slack, his books were burnt, um, partially because of this reason as well, is he, he recalibrated Halacha. He said, well, I'm going to give you 14 sections of Halacha. And so that's his Yad. Um, so that they were, he was the first one to really move in that direction. Later on, Rabbeinu Yaakov, the son of the Rosh, who the Rosh wrote on the Rif, right? So he was on the Gemara. The, the, the tour, Rabbeinu Yaakov, turned around and said, well, I'm going to set up four silos called the Arba Turim. That was what became known as the Tur. And he wrote Halacha into Oirachayim, Evan Ezer, Yeridea, and Choshen Mishpat. And he reformulated Halacha. But the interesting thing is, is he wasn't actually paskening. He was really being malakate. So he says, and this is what the Rosh says, and my father, Adoni Avia Rosh, and this is what the Rambam says, and what the Rif says. And you just bring it all down, and you put it into sections, and he created his own sections. But he didn't tell you what to do. So what happened was, is that, first of all, he didn't put the sources either, like the Rambam didn't put his sources. So the base Yosef, like he commented on the Rambam, writing the case of Mishnah, to show where the sources of the Rambam were, wrote on the Torah his commentary called the base Yosef. And he showed where all the sources were. It happened to be that he was living in, where was the base Yosef living at this point in time? He was living in Tzvaz. Right, so he was writing, commenting on where the Torah got everything from. And then, at the same time in Eastern Europe, in Warsaw, there was an individual by the name of Ramosha Isilis who was doing the same thing. And he was writing a book called the Darke Moshe on the Torah as well. Both, both of these traditions. Both of them added on extra Rishonim that the Torah did not see or have access to. There were based of usually commenting on those from the Ottoman Empire more in the realm of the Eidot Mizrach and Ramosha Isilis from the realm of Ashkenaz. 
and they were both about to write a book, a sum total book to summarize halacha. Guess who, who, who won the, that, 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 that was? The Beis Yosef, he wrote the Shulchan Aruch. At that which point in time, the Ramah could have said, the Ramah could have said, well, Ich bin a, 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 a gever, I, I also was writing and spent all this time, and he could have written a book and split Europe away from Israel, and he didn't. He submitted and he, he buried his book, and ultimately wrote glosses on the Shulchan Aruch as the Ramah, thereby unifying Europe and Israel which is a tremendous, tremendous amount of humility in doing that. But nonetheless, as the, the, the Ramor wrote, his Darke Moshe, at the same time, remember he wasn't watching the base Joseph when this was happening, he notes in the source 5, the Mariel, so he quotes the Mariel, many of much of our Nusach comes from, is on the Mariel, so it depends if you can have visual access to the Aaron, says the, says, says the Mariel, as quoted by the Dark Moshe, then you're able to, to put your face down. If you don't, you're not able to as well. Fascinating, this is learned from the incident of Yeshua, where Yeshua does it where? Lifnei Aaron Hashem. That's what happens. Third incident as we push forward. Yeah, Jonathan. So did we consider taking a sacred Torah during the time of the tent, putting it in the hall? Yeah, you know, so one has to be very careful today. We have this attitude is that the Torah dances around us, right? But really it's the other way around. We dance around the Torah. So I, I, we don't move Torahs easily. In fact, if you, if you look at Halacha, you, you only move a Torah to a place which is a minion kavua, and you're going to learn from it three times. And some people today, it's every, every two, I'm going up to camp. And there's a, you, know, you have to be careful about that, you know, where, where, where you take Torahs. Torahs don't move to us. We move to them, right? So, you know, like sometimes you'll see somebody carrying the Torah out and they'll go over to somebody for them to kiss. It's like, no, 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 it's the other way around. You come out to kiss the Torah. So we don't move the Torah for our own convenience. Convenience is, is a Western value. It's not a Jewish value. So it's, uh, we have to be, just be very, very careful to, uh, to, to put that into context. Um, the next thing, the next incident which actually relates to this is a, t- a terrifying incident that happens at the end of the life of David Melech in Sefer Shmuel Beis. The very, very end of uh, David Melech's life, it's a really sad ending to David Melech's life, essentially. This was his last public act in which David Melech um, decides to do a census. And unfortunately, he wasn't doing a census just because he needed to, to, to find out how to build the base of Middash. He was doing a census. He wanted to see his accomplishments. Look at the beginning and the end. And when he did the census, um, it, um, he sent out Yoav. Yoav says, David Melech, perhaps this is not a good idea. David Melech ignores him. He sends out Yoav. He counts the people. And then we hear the end in source 10, in source 6, Pasuk Yud, David Melech immediately realized that he had done the wrong thing. David el Hashem, Hashem, you told us at the beginning of Pasha's kisses are not to count the people, and I did count the people. Hashem, please remove the sin. I know I've done wrong. Right, this is before the punishment was was offered. So now God presents David with the following ultimatum, a very a very shocking ultimatum. You have the option of one of three punishments. You can choose your punishment. You can choose seven years of famine in your land. Or you're going to run in front of your enemies for three months. Or plague which will affect you for three days. You tell me, David, what I should respond to Hashem to choose. Now, obviously, there's a, it's scaled, so I mean, you'd say the more severe, the shorter, right? Just to, to, that's the way it's being set up over here. And famously, then, 
we hear the pasuk of well, which we start Tachnun with, which is Vayomer David el God. Now, just to clarify, that's not God Almighty, right? <laughs> that is God who is the prophet, right? God Gimel Dalit. He's David David el God. Sarli Maod. I'm in immense pain. Nipla na biyad Hashem. Let me fall upon the hands of Hashem and let me not fall upon the hands of human beings. What is David Melech answering now in context? To see this passage in context, what is David Melech really saying in this passage now? The passage we said at the beginning of, 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 uh, of Tachanun. David Melech was asked a three pronged question. It was a multiple choice question. What is David Melech's answer? What was that? So he knocks out the, certainly the middle one of. The, the, of the idea of being chased by enemies, because he's saying, I'm falling upon the hands of Hashem. And Mephorosh and the Radak says, he's also knocking out option number one, because if there were to be a famine, then he would be dependent on import, on all countries around him, which is Biyad Acherem. So therefore he says, let me rather have Dever, which is in your hand. Why does he choose Dever? Why does he choose the, this? Um, so one, one understanding is, um, is, is that he believes that human beings sometimes take advantage of their license, like Paro was destined to afflict Israel. And he did a really, um, we'll call it, he, he went beyond the scale of what Hashem wanted. So Dominic says, I want to avoid that. I don't want you to give the license to other folks. But it also could be, as Rav Hirsch says in his Siddur, in source, in source 7, um, uh, um, we, we just take a look, four lines, five lines in. David or David chose the last of these three alternatives, explaining his choice in these words, which give expression to his trust in God's compassion. His hopes were fulfilled. The pestilence lasted only um, half a day instead of three, and we should note that in the many years later, the temple was erected at the very place where the dying was arrested. So David Melech said, "I'm going to turn to Hakadosh Baruch Hu's compassion, to Hakadosh Baruch Hu's rachamim. That's why he chose that choice. That's why it was Dever, and in fact, it stopped in time. And that's how we begin." And again, all of these three incidents, which are clearly proto-Tachanun, right? Nefilah Sapaim, each one of them reflects a situation of impending danger, of a leader stepping in to try to defend the people. And a person, and this, the, the expression of this, the, we will call the, the necessity and the urgency of that situation is expressed in their prostration in front of Akash Baruch Hu. Yes, Tabi. I don't know. I kind of viewed this more as saying as I'm choosing. I'm relying on Hashem. Ah, uh, that's a, it's a definitely an option. Definitely an option. But the Mofarshim understand that he was choosing the third. That's what that understands. Yes, yes, and that's what happened because the devil happened. Yeah. Uh, the Israel, and the Haredi, do not say this blessing, and they also do not say they say There you go. Uh, you're right. So it is. It is shifted. So I apologize. I'm very Nusach Ashkenaz centric, and I apologize to to those who are who are Nusach Ari. But you're right, Rabbi Yossi, and, and that's why Nusach Chabad. This this section is missed. But I do think it's a very fascinating observation. It is Mizrach as well, right? So so it happens to be they do, but it's short and it doesn't start with this pasuk. Nusach Ari does. Nusach Ari does. There's a linkage between which. Capitally you use and whether you do the feel it's very strong, very difficult. It's considered too strong to link that capital that the that Ari does and the Tzvardim do with the feel It's like an either or. Fascinating. Well, actually, we'll see just in a second. If we get there, we'll just see that the Rivash talks about the development of the posture in a second, and we'll see that there was an element of flux which probably led to different countries doing different things, which is where we are today, as well. So, Yossi, thank you for the for the for the comment. I just wanted to add in one. One element of here, which is, I think, a really terrifying element. Um, this, this, this really gives us a sense of just how, 
how 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 powerful this this prayer is. This this incident that we so we looked at the Tanakh a little bit. Let's look at the Gemara. We're looking at, a, at an incident which is one of perhaps the most famous Gemaras that we've all heard. Um, but we don't know the end of the Gemara. The famous Gemara is the story, the story of the Tanur Shul Achna. There's a machlokes between Rabbi Yezra Agadol, Rabbi Yezra ben Hurkunas, and the Chachamim. And it's in Baba Messiah, Daf Nun, Tesla Beis. Very famous incident. And Rabbi Yezra ben Hurkunas feels that he is correct, and he's so sure that he's correct that he demonstrates his precision by supernatural events. So he has a river flow backwards to prove that he's correct, and the river flows backwards. And he has uh, a tree move its place. And then he has the Kosle Besa Medrash falling and uh, impending. So you, you have all these uh, shocking things happening. And finally, a bus call comes out and says that Rebbe Yezer is correct. And the Sanhedrin still vote against him. And finally, the Gomorrah says, Loiba Shamaimi, famously, the Gomorrah says, Halacha was handed to human beings. And the, the rule for the human beings is that one follows. has given us rules. And as correct as we may be in the, we're called the realm of theory and the realm of practice, HaKadosh Baruch gave us the, 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 the right to, 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 to decide. So that's what the Gemara says. And it's a very beautiful Gemara. What you don't know is the continuation of the Gemara. <laughs> Usually, most people don't read the rest of the Gemara. So um, the Gemara says in Source 8, a very shocking thing. So, the, the Gemara says that, that, that Rabbi Nason found Eliyahu Navi. What is the Gosh Baruch Hu doing while this all unfolded? Gosh Baruch Hu says, so speaks, smiling, my children have succeeded against me. They took all the pottery. Remember, the Tanah Shalachnai was a a, a essentially a earthenware container which could be reconstructed with with um, sand and so the question was does it lose its status of tumor when it's broken up to be reconstructed if I have a regular pot and it becomes tome and it's an earthenware <laughs> pot it's done if I break it it loses its tumor what happens if I break it to reconstruct it and there's a way to make it uh, to make it again that was the, the, the discussion a very complex discussion so he was matire so they said they bro they burned all his tires because they they, they paskin against him and then they, because he would not rescind his position, even though it was Eloi Bashamayimhi, they put him into Cherem. They get the Birku, terrifying. So they said, We have put him in Cherem, but who's going to deliver the terrifying news? If somebody who is not appropriate goes and tells Rebbe Yazar Agadol that he is in Cherem, the Godal Adar, um, the world will be destroyed. His anger will not be contained, and the world will be destroyed on that account. So Rebbe Kiva says, I'll, I'll, I'll have to relay the news. So what does he do? My answer, So he comes in, he dresses, he dresses in, in dark clothes, and he covers himself up, and he stands at a distance, so he sits at a distance of four Amos. These are all Nihilgim that are in place for a person who is in Cherem. Avelos is paralleled to, 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 to uh, Cherem. And so he, he starts treating him somewhat differently, distanced from the community. There's many alochas of what a person in Nidoi needs to, needs to do. Nidoi isn't in practice so much today. People don't like rabbis telling him what to do so much. But in the old days, if you misbehaved in the community, you were put into Cherem. And if you didn't do the right thing, Today they just sue the rabbi. <laughs> in the old days, in the, old, in the old days, if there was somebody who was misbehaving, what they would do is, is, is they would put a person in cherem. The person is not going on the straight and narrow for the community. They're a destructive force for the community. He'd be put in cherem. So Rebbe Lezara, can you imagine putting Rebbe Lezara into cherem? 
So Amar Loi, Rabbi Eliezer, Akiva, Ma Yomi Yomaim, Akiva, my student. Why is today different? Amar Loi, Rabbi Kimdumeli Shechaverim Bedeli Mimcha. Akiva says, it seems that the people in the base Knesset are distancing themselves from you. Very euphemistic way of saying it. Um, At that point in time, Rebbe realized there didn't have to be direct communication. There was subtlety in communication. He tore his clothes like a person who's in Menuda, and he took off his shoes, like, again, all parallels to the Hilchas Avelos. Avelos is very much parallel to, uh, to Nidoi. Zolgul en of Demois, and he started crying. And all the major economies, the agricultural economies, um, suffered um, at this point in time because of the pain that Rabbi Lezer Agadol was going through. So the world was shifted spiritually. The equilibrium was lost. That the dough fell. When all the dough in the world fell at that point in time when Rabbi Lezer was put into Cherem. He was so pained by this, wherever you'd look, he would burn, so to speak. We've heard that about Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. This is Rabbi Lezer HaGadol. By the way, this is before. Rabbi Lezer was the predecessor from Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Rabbi Lezer was the, the teacher of Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva was the teacher of Rabbi Shimon, just to appreciate the, 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 decision, the, the level of, of, uh, of hierarchy. Rabban Gamliel, who is the Nasi, at this point in time was on a boat, and a wave threatened to, to, to overcome him because the day that Rabbi Eliezer was put into Cherem. So because it was, he was the one who, so to speak, facilitated the Cherem, he was going to lose his life. Most the universe, God of you, do a for Nechshalai, Lichvodi Asisi, Velo Lichvod, Base Abba Asisi, Elichvod Hoshlai, Yerbu Machlokos be Israel. And Gabriel says, Akosh Baruch, I wasn't doing this because of personal vendetta. I wasn't doing this because I thought that I needed to be right. I was doing this because if Rebellion is going to sit on his side, we're going to split Klal Yisrael. That Hoira will split, and it's, it's splitting all the time. We need to hold this together. That's why I did this. And that, and that, Nacha Yomi Izaf, and Akosh Baruch, so to speak, put the seat at ease. In respect to Rabban Gamliel, even though there was the anger of Rabbi Eliezer. Now, here's the sad part. So there was a pivotal character in this whole story who was the sister of Rabban Gamliel, who put Rabbi Eliezer into Cherem, who was the wife of Rabbi Eliezer. So she was caught in the middle here. So she realized, So that's why it relates to us. The wife of Rabbi Eliezer, Agadol, did not allow him to fall upon his face during this time. Um, why, uh, why? By the way, what's, what's going on over here? She's afraid that his She's scared that his tefillah would, would be effective upon her brother. Right. That's why she was so scared. So she says, Hahu Yuma, so she never allowed him to do this. Hahu Yuma Resh Yarcho Havo. There was a Rosh Chodesh, and she didn't realize which day was Rosh It wasn't like they pulled out the calendar in those days. You know, it was depending on what the Sanhedrin said. So she didn't know which day was Rosh Chodesh. There was a, uh, somebody who came in, a needy person knocked on the door. She took him out of bread. And she came back and she found he was, he was doing Tachanun. He was put his head down. She says, get up, get up, you killed my brother. Says, um, it was too late. Uh, a horn, meaning a shofar, came out of the house of Rabban Gamliel that he died already. 
that all the gates are closed except for the sharim of or not of of uh, of mistreatment. This is why they translated it over here. But uh, just to appreciate this, just to understand what's going on, Rabbi Leizer Agadol was not praying about Rabbi Rabbi Leizer was not praying about Rabbi Gamliel. Rabbi Leizer Agadol, who was one of the greatest sages of all time, the first, the, really the first, the first of our midrashim which we have is the Pirkei of Rabbi Leizer. That's Rabbi Leizer Agadol, right? Rebbe the teacher of Rebbe Akiva, when Rebbe, he died in Cherem, just to appreciate this. When he died, the, the Gemara talks about towards the end of Sanhedrin, how he died and he was crying, he was not able to teach the world because in Midrash you couldn't do this. Rebbe Akiva felt that he had lost the opportunity of learning from his Rebbe in a way that was, that was unfair to him. He, in fact, he hurt himself when Rebbe Eliezer died. Terrifying things, right? So Rebbe Eliezer was not praying about Rabban Gamaliel, he wasn't thinking about Rabban Gamaliel. He was in pain about his situation, but that pain turned into the ramifications that affected those who caused the situation, even though he wasn't talking about them. That's, that's, that's the power of this. And that was expressed in the, where was the depth of that expression? When he was allowed to do Nefilah Sapayim. That's why she was trying to prevent him from doing this. By the way, that's, that's why it's always important, before one goes to bed at night, there's a, before the Kriyash Ramah there's a Ribbon Shalalam. The Ribbon Shalalam releases other people from pain they caused one. Not because one necessarily is praying for their ill, but it's not, it's not, one doesn't want to be the facilitator, God forbid, of one's pain being the effect of somebody else's life. It's important to think about. This is a Rebeliezer. This is open because of Rebeliezer. You see in this Gemara that Tachanun and Philosophim is an expression, is a place where pain can be expressed in the most rawest of forms, and that's where the, the, that Tefillah uh, finds its expression. Now, you ask yourself a question, the Ritva asks, the Rashba asks, the Gemara is like, let's be honest. How in the world did she do this? You know, like, you know, husbands and wives like to spend time together, they go shopping together, you know, they go for a walk on a Shabbos afternoon together, but how could she possibly be with him at every, every waking second? That doesn't make sense. So the, so the Ritva says, no, 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 what it is, is, is that the, the power of Tachanun is when the Tachanun is directly connected to the Shemona Esrei. But there's one thing which can really destroy a good tefillah, and that is talking. And so what did she do? <laughs> After he finished Shmona Esrei, she engaged him in a conversation, thereby disconnecting his tefillah and therefore actually, so to speak, disassociating and, and, and uh, perhaps diverting him from doing his tachanun, which would have been immediately afterwards. So it wasn't that she had to be with him all day. She had to be at him at the pivotal moment, which was the moment that was that day that Rosh Chodesh, or when the, the Ani was at the Pesach, where she went out and, uh, and did it. So this is, the, this is what she was trying to do. We see that the power of the tachanun over here, which is uh, the, the terrifying powerful power of the tachanun, is where all perhaps one's innermost feelings are, uh, are, are able to be expressed and the power that it express, uh, is expressed as. Now, what position is it said? And just come back to this. Rivash talks about this. And Rivash says, one of the later Rishonim says, an interesting thing you see from the story, a few things which are important. Number one is you see, is Tachanun, is Nefirah Sapayim a Choyva or a Rishus? Is it an obligation or is it or is something kind of one can opt into? What do you see from this Gemara? So it sounds like, says the Rivash, this is, uh, Rishus, it's not a Choyva, it's not like the Shmona Esrei. It's not like what Anshek Nesagdola formulated originally. It wasn't formulated at the same time, it was formulated later on based on this idea. How do you know that? Because Rebbe Eliezer listened to his wife. Meaning, let's say Rebbe Eliezer's wife says to him, just before he's about to do Shmona Esrei, honey, let's go out for a walk, right? So he would he maybe, let's say he would have gone out for a walk, but he would have come back and done Shmona Esrei, right? But the point is when it came to Tachanun, he let his wife interrupt him. 
right? Which meant to say that this was not at this point in time as chav, as much of a chav as the rivash. So that's why he says you'll see different communities having different minhagim. Some communities, he say, he was actually talks about the original development would say it on Shabbos. Some communities did not say it on Shabbos and on Yom Tov because already this is what we're talking about six, seven hundred years ago. It was not as kavua. Yet, yet as to do it. Some people would stand for it, some people would sit for it, says the Rivash. This is where the halach is still formulating into what we have it today. The Tur, when quoting this, does say, by the way, says, but today we have formulated in a certain level of concretization. It becomes a chayva because of the way communities have adopted it. But to Yossi's point, different communities have adopted it somewhat differently, which is why, let's say the Nusach Ari will have a few psukim which are shorter. They'll have the video at the beginning, which is also Me'ain, the Tachanun. And the Ashkenazi communities will have it formulated somewhat differently. That's because there was a flux till really about six to five hundred years ago as to how it looked precisely. Now, now we have it and it's printed in the Sidorim. It's a lot easier to have it as the chayva. Our acceptance of it has, has turned into that. Question then becomes is, so what about Monday and Thursday? So why on Monday and Thursday is it more of an extensive program of, uh, um, of a more intense program? <coughs> so this is why davening starts earlier on Monday and Thursdays because of Tachnun and Kriyasatara. So there's a very unusual um, um, story which is told in the Sefer Kol Boy, quoted in the Sefer Time and Agim, where he says it's actually in, in a little bit in Aramaic, but it's an interesting story here. Says uh, this is in Kuf Lamed Vav in the Sefer of Tamei Menachem. He says, "Tamei Shomrim Vurachu Meshenu Chamishi." He says, "Ki Uvda Havi B'Sinasa Di Yudai Da Asim in Galus Di Yerushalayim La Asu Da Havu Tamon Hegmona." There was a boat of Jews being taken in captivity to a place where there was a Hegmon. There was some sort of governor. Whether this means Rome, whether this means a, a city in Galus. Amru Leim Minon At Minon Minon Am Atun Ba'ina La Minasa Lechon Kama De Minasa Lechanan Mishal Vazaria. So they said, perhaps we can give you the same testing as Hanani Mishnah <laughs> That was not a standardized test they're talking about. <laughs> this, wasn't, this wasn't like, you know, getting into university. What was the test that Hanani Mishnah Azaria went through? <laughs> yeah, they, they went through the fire. So, Atun um, through the, the kill. Omrulay, they said to the Hegmon, to this leader, Hav lonu zman tlal sin yomen. So they said, please give us a, a, a window of 30 days to, to process this request. They said in a fast, um, so that would, anybody who had a dream, they would present publicly as perhaps maybe they had an answer. They, would, they were sitting in a fast to see what they should do in, in response to this terrible gezerah. Um, as they're about to finish the 30 days, so the fellow who was, who was a Eurasia Mayim, but he wasn't the most, uh, the most, uh, the, you know, we we'll call it extensive Talmud Chacham. Amar Lahu, he came in forward in front of the community. Ana, uh, he says, He says, in my dream, they were reading a pasuk which is the formula, following formulation. It's like a riddle. It had th- um, three, um, um, sorry, two keys and three lies. Okay, key as in kuf yud, uh, yud. But he doesn't know what it is. That reflects the idea of loy chakim kulihai because he couldn't recognize the pasuk. But he knew the key. He knew that the key k e y to the pasuk was three, uh, two keys, three, three lies. So amo amalei chad sabah chakim alachada haikra vaday dahani lach min shamaya. That's probably the pasuk which is the answer, the key to this, which is kisavor b'mayim itoch ani. When I, you go to the water, I am with you. And when you go through the rivers, I will not drown you. And what's the next part? 
The next part is when you go to the fire, I will not consume you. So he says, that is actually autobiographical to what you, the pasuk you saw is referring to what just happened. We just came through the sea and what it's saying is impending is the fire, but I'm not going to let you get harmed. So the first part of the pasuk has already happened. The next part of the pasuk is about to happen. So I felt that this was a insurance. Um, you're going to survive this. The Hashem is telling you that you will have a miracle. And that's what happened. They made a huge fire. He entered the um, So this fellow entered into the fire. And So the fire split into three different sections and three tzaddikim came out to greet him who ostensibly are those. Um, um, and we say, and he goes with So So each of them said three sessions of Rachamim. And they said these three sections which turns into our Vuhu Rachum as we have it. Right? So they were the protection agencies for this person as he went through the fire. Monday and Thursday, generally speaking, are Yuma de Dina. On a practical sense, that means to say that's when people will come to the marketplace and adjudicate their Dine Torah. But on a spiritual sense, it means that Monday and Thursday are more attuned to strict judgment. And therefore, we use this as an opportunity. Now, it's true that every time we come to a Monday and Thursday, we all sigh because it's a longer davening. But it's actually missing the boat because it is an opportunity to use the same agencies, the same protection agencies that these individuals expressed and felt during this point in time. Every time we do the long tachanun, which, uh, by the way, I still have yet to meet Balei who can actually make it through saying every word. It's very hard to, to do it. I, I usually get through maybe about a, th- a third of it um, at the speed that we go. But it, when, 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 uh, when we say these things, we should be thinking about, we should be thinking about the... Um, the, this idea, think about being in the, the boat on the way to captivity, being in the fire that so many of our brothers, sisters, great uh, and, uh, and, and ancestors have gone through these fires throughout Jewish, Jewish history. That's what we're saying. That's what we're saying when we have, when we're, when, when we're saying the Vurachum. It is really an opportunity. What are we supposed to be thinking during this, which perhaps leaves out there is, an, there is just an interesting observation, is you shouldn't be saying this at night time. Tachanun is not to be said at night, which is why we don't say it at Mariv. And that means to say that the minag is, the way that we follow halacha, is, is that let's say a person starting mincha and one comes to shkia, one is able to dive a mincha beyond shkia for a few minutes, but one cannot say tachanun. So if one is in a pinch, and one hasn't got to uh, start mincha before, tach, before shkia, before sunset, one would say mincha without the, uh, the, the, the tachanun. One doesn't say it at night. In the mornings, if you know slicha starts really early, especially like let's say our earliest minion, let's say in the winter, starting really early, you can say it, the, the post can say, because the, the, the time, the quadrant of the day, the day is divided into four quadrants, six, 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 uh, six hours. And the first quadrant from, the, from, the, from sunset to midnight is a time of strict judgment, which is why we don't say slichos, then we shouldn't say tachanun then as well. But... In the second quadrant, which is the second half of the night, it's really a time of rachamim because there's now darkness moving towards light. Then we can say tachanun. So even if that says before daybreak, one still says a tachanun at the end of the, the slichos program, which one says as well. Um, just a, a, as an interesting side. Now, 
let's let's try to try to say so what, what are we actually achieving with this when we are saying it so yes these all these incidents in uh, in our history call us back we think about we think about Yoshua, we think about David Melech, we think about Moshe and Aaron. These are all people who all did this. They all were in these moments. We think about their moments and how similar they are to our lives. But what are we supposed to be thinking? So coming back to the Rebbe Ben on page 2 for a moment, just if you reverse, he says there's three things that a person should be thinking about when doing Tachanun. Three ideas that, that are going on in one's head. One is the fear of the Divine Presence. And he says the reason why one puts one's face down is in fact a prostration because of being in the presence of Hashem, right? So it is it is this 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 expression of our Kodesh Baruch Hu, which is why, just as an interest, which arm does one put down and rest one's head on for Tachanun? So it happens to be a little bit of a debate, and the the general practice is is for men davening in the morning. It is the for for a regular right-handed man is the right hand not to put one's hand down on one's tefillin, but a mincha it's on the left hand. Uh, because there's no tefillin there. Why is it the left hand? It's because the shechina is to the right of one's. That's the general understanding. So when one puts one's heads down, one is facing the shechina by putting one's head down on one's left. If it's not, if it were not for the tefillah as well, just to to understand the orientation. That's what the, the Rebbe Bechayes says. Just a quick slip in over here. A reminder for those during the summer months who may not be wearing long sleeves, you're not allowed to put your hand down on your bare skin. So if you've got a watch, that's fantastic. But if not, you have to whip out a, a paper towel or a, or a tissue to put, and you should not be putting your hand down directly on, 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 on one's, one's, bare, one's bare skin. What was that? A towel? Something, some, some, some sort of in, intermediary. The second says Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar, without reading it all inside, Ashenis laharos tsar vachna. It's a sign when a person's in, when, you, when people are in, in abject pain or in mourning, they put their heads down. They can't face the world, right? That's the expression that we're doing. We, we, and there's so much pain in our lives. There's so much pain individually, communally, internationally that there is to, to suffer. We are in that state of abject suffering. And then the three says, It is a sublimation. We are cancelling our looking around. We are cancelling our interaction with the rest of the world at this point. It's self-negation. So it's expression of the, of the, the revelation of the divine. It's a, 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 as he points out, to show the pain that we're in, and also we are limiting our expression so we can focus on the things which are really bothering us. Neshmona Esha, our face is public property. People can see us. When we put our face down, they can't see us anymore. Therefore, we can really express what might be really going on, the real pain in our lives, so nobody else knows we can cry in that time as well. Note an interesting thing at the end of the Barab Ben in the last paragraph here, he says, interesting observation. He says, he says the other nations, he's referring to the Christians, do this when they clasp their hands together, right? That's not a Jewish position. That's a Christian uh, position of prayer. If you look for prayer positions and the hands are clasped, that is Christian. He says they're doing the same thing. He says, um, um, And they're really habituated, so they don't know why they're doing it. It's as if your hands are bound together in self-sacrifice and submission. Says Rabbeinu B'chayek, it's more powerful to move feet than it is to move hands. So our submission is in moving the feet, which is why we sit down, stand, uh, sit and stand up as well, which is, which is part of what's going on over here. To take it one step further, if you think about the way the, the, the tefillah has worked, it's really chiastic in structure, right? So what have we done? We've sat for the Pesukah de Zimra and the Kriyashma. 
we stand up for the Amidah and then we fall down for we prostrate essentially for the sake of of Nefilah uh, The Aruch HaShulchan actually talks about the idea that great tzaddikim would fully prostrate themselves, right? They would like prostrate themselves fully, um, um, extend themselves out. He says most people are not on a level to do that, so don't do <laughs> don't do that. He, he says, but we put our heads down at least. So he says, therefore, there's essentially three positions, and then we reverse them. So you move from head down to sitting, then sitting to standing. Right, which means to say we, it's essentially A, B, C, B, A. That's the positions of davening that we've, that we've now taken in terms of sitting, standing, falling, falling, sta- um, sitting, standing. And at the end of it, when we stand up, what do we say? HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we don't know what to do. We're trying to serve you. We're trying to relate, relate, relate to you. We don't know what to do, which is why we shift our position at that last moment back into uh, into, uh, in, 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 into that position. It is worthwhile knowing that there's a, one of the predominant themes, and we'll close with this, is the idea of self-negation, which the Rebbe Nebuchadnezzar says. Most of the Achorim follow that idea of self-negation, where the Nefesh Achayim says, just in his way of quoting it, is the first line in page, source 19. He says in the Haggah, Yimsor nafshoi v'rucha v'nishmosa legamre lemisach, v'posok ha'she elecho ha'shem nafshi esa. He says it's essentially handing one's soul over, and he goes into the Kabbalistic descriptions of la'alosam im naran shil gimah ha'alamos. Does anyone know what naran is? Nefesh ruach neshama. So a person is handing over their spiritual being to HaKadosh Baruch Hu in this position. There's a self-negation which is going on. He quotes the Zara and Pashas Korach about Moshe and Aaron. When they prayed for Israel, they were essentially sacrificing their lives because HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, I'll take you, not them. So there was this element of, of self-negation, which he quotes from the Zohar as well. Rav Soloveitchik expresses it in a psychological terms at the top of the last page, in page 8. He, the way he says it is, the institution of, of Tachnon or Nefila Sapayim stresses the annihilation of man's being. That's a very strong word. Man lowers himself to the dust and negates his existence, which is why we're moving ourselves downwards. The words of supplication spoken through Nefila Sapayim highlight the tragic character of the pleader. God, do not rebuke me in your anger. From this plea emerge all the terrors of the miserable and unfortunate person who bears in his bosom perpetual grief and disgrace. The one who supplicates regrets his sins and calls for help. This formula of entreaty laden with the pain and sh- of shame is especially prominent in the moment of Viri con- confession. The practice of many communities to recite Viri before Nefira Sapayim is not without point. So what he's saying is then Rabbi Yossi coming back to the, the Nusach Ari there, which is why Viri is part of the Nefira Sapayim. He says, we're so embarrassed. We're so inadequate. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, this is the time I'm going to tell you in the day, more than any other part of the tefillah is this inadequacy is expressed. In Rav Kook's Orot, if you take a look, and this is a translation in Source 21, five lines in, uh, the middle of the line it says, so man must now direct his attention after this time of joy. So Shemona Esra is elation. He says to, to that which is lowly and ugly within him. He will be disgusted with his life on account of its, of its deficiency, the negative character traits, the inane actions. In doing so, he will be divested of the imperfections and their power will wane. So we've elated ourselves, we tell ourselves how wonderful we are, Akash Baruch we're your servants. And then we reflect on the fact that we're not all that great and we make mistakes and there's lots of problems and imperfections. And that's when we relate to it. And by the way, personally, not publicly, it's by ourselves, in our own space, in our own cocoon. And finding that the, the teachings of the, of the altar of Kelm, and he's, he would say, he quotes the Chavos Levavos, who says on the second line, the following prayer. And this is how he related to Tachanon. Rebona Shalala, Master of the Universe. Bikashti Zevazeh. I've just come out of the Shemot Esri. HaKadosh Baruch I just asked for this, asked for that, asked for that. All these things. HaKadosh Baruch is so important to me. Aval Atzoschot Toivah Me Atzosi. You know, HaKadosh Baruch I realize you got, the, you got it all covered. 
You know what's best for us. Coming back to David's statement for the Nusach Ashkenaz folks. Hashem, I'm falling upon your hand to be in the way that you read the Pasuk. I'm going to let you decide. So after all these requests in the Shemona Hesrei, after I've said all these things, at the end of the day, submission. I'm going to submit myself to you. You decide what's best for us. Be'ezras Hashem, HaKadosh Baruch we're going to accept this. And that's the, the, the culmination of this tefillah. The high, the low, all coming together into this catch the tefillah of, of Tachon. What a really, really beautiful tefillah. What a way to, to do it. It's the place where perhaps the saddest and hardest parts of our lives can be expressed is the Tachon. Rabbi thank you so much for taking the time. It's a wonderful day.